As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We waited outside, and he made good on his promise. He to called. call the police. And in that call, we hear him say that Fox 6 News threatened him. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. We're investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On this episode, more than meets the eye. Four years after the Fox 6 investigators exposed an eyeglass salesman for doing eye exams without a license, he's accused of doing it again. But it's the one eye he seems to fear the most that took this story to a whole new level. Hello, everyone. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire here with Jenna Sachs. Hi, Amanda. And Brian Polson. Hello, Amanda. So we are. I can see you clearly. I can see Jenna clearly. You can, which we thought you wouldn't be able yeah. to because you just came from an eye appointment. I'm almost a little disappointed uh, because it's like I thought I'd be sitting here with those real dark glasses wrapped around and sort of looking like I, I couldn't see. And I, I actually was worried I wouldn't even be able to read the script. Well, you had your eyes dilated, so I, right? I was at an eye exam this morning and I don't, I, I've never really worn glasses on a regular basis. I've had them for like distance vision that I could wear occasionally in the past. And I think the last exam I had was probably five years ago and it wasn't particularly thorough by comparison to what I got today. So today they did the dilation mm-hmm. and I've never had that done before. And so I thought, I heard all these stories, you go, oh, you're not going to be able to see, you won't be able to read up close for hours, and you'll be wearing dark glasses. And I see, fine, I'm almost a little let down by it. Well, you went to someone who was licensed yes. to do eye exams, and yes. that kind of leads us into what we're talking about yeah, today. Yeah, and I checked this out in advance, too, because of what we're about to talk about. I looked up on the Department of Safety and Professional Services website. The eye doctor I was going to see is a licensed optometrist. He has no orders against him. He's a legit guy, and I can say it was a very thorough eye health exam. Most people, they don't take the time to check out those kinds of things that you did, Brian, before they get an eye exam. I, I probably, I don't think most people do. I mean, I, I don't know. You go to get an eye exam. And a lot of times you go to maybe storefront type places or just a place that you happen to drive by. Maybe it is conveniently located in a strip mall somewhere, or maybe you find them in the sort of member directory of your health insurance. But but typically you go there and you just sort of assume I'm going, they're giving me an exam, they're testing my eyes, must be a doctor. And that's what happened to the Kenosha woman who called you. Yeah, it's exactly what happened to her. Her name is Jill Gilmore. She's a mother of seven children. Yeah, seven kids ages five to 14. And I know, Jenna, you have probably some real relatability here with a few young ones of your own. And Amanda, not, not, not seven. seven. Not seven. <laughs> Just to clarify, few. Jenna but does not have but, but seven but children. You have, you have three that are under the age of three or three or three Right, under. but seven is but like. But seven's a lot. So she, but you I'm one of six. You can, imagine, you can empathize. Right? Yeah. She's busy. She's got a lot going so on. So she says that's why she decided just to stop in at this small storefront shop uh, called Next Day Glasses in Paddock Lake. She did this back in October. She did it because the store was right next to her bank. She saw the sign. Hey, it says they do eye exams. She thought it would be convenient. So she makes an appointment and she says when she got there, she was greeted at the door by a man she now knows to be 
Lee Hagopian. I was greeted at the door by Mr. Hagopian. I was brought into a separate room. I looked into a machine and he asked me to tell him when um, the picture in the machine was clear. He made the statement, I'm going to give you a, pres a stronger prescription for your right eye and you will like it. So Gilmore says she assumed she was getting an eye exam from a real licensed eye doctor. So she ended up ordering glasses and while she's worn glasses her whole life, this was the first time she'd ever ordered contact lenses. And she says Hagopian ended up sending her home with a pair of trial contacts. And that is when Jill Gilmore says things really went downhill. I took them out after two hours and my eyes were completely on fire. Now I have this burning pain in my eyes. He said, well, I'm closed and I'm already at home. That night was a long night for me. So she goes to bed or says she struggled to sleep that night with this burning in her eyes. She was really, really uncomfortable and comes to find out the next morning when she looks at the contact lens packaging that these lenses expired eight years ago. One, there were two different lenses. One expired in 2011, I think the right eye and the left eye in 2012 or vice versa. But these were old. They were out of date. And she also soon discovered what we had reported on four years ago, back in 2015, that Lee Hagopian is not an optometrist at all. He's an optician, and there's a monumental difference between the two of them. I remember the first time I put in contact lenses, and it was really hard to learn how to do it. Do we know why her eyes hurt? What the problem we was? We do now. No, she didn't know right away. And so her first, you, you think you go home, your eyes are burning, your first inclination is to call the person who gave you the contact. So she called Next Day Glasses, and she says... Mr. Hagopian answered. She explained what was going on and he said, well, I'm closed right now, you know, sleep on it essentially and call me back in the morning. So she calls back the next morning after this really rough night and he says, I think there's an exchange of some phone calls, but he eventually calls her back and leaves a message that she's recorded and we've heard this and we played it in our story. He says in the, in the message, you know, I've called the manufacturer of the contact lenses and they say you must be having an allergic reaction. So I just need to put some drops in your eyes. I got these special drops we can give you. Come on in, we'll give them to you for free. And he said, he apologizes. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. He then calls her back again and again, leaving messages. I really want you to come in, please come in. Sounds like he's getting nervous. And she gets the sense that he is not only nervous, but getting kind of pushy. He really wants her to come in. Her husband is saying, I don't trust this guy. You need to go to a real licensed doctor because by now they've found out by searching more information about him, who he is, and they find our old story. Now they're concerned. So she goes to a doctor in Antioch, Illinois, um, which is right across the border from where they live in Kenosha. And that doctor, a licensed optometrist in Illinois, initially believes she has a bacterial infection because of the age of the contact lens. So he treats her with an antibiotic. Even when she contacted me, she still believes she had a bacterial infection that resulted in some kind of an eye injury. There was a bit of a misunderstanding there. What we come to find in talking to the doctor ourselves is that he initially treated her for a possible bacterial infection, but when the redness and everything cleared up, he discovered there was an actual injury to her eye, a corneal abrasion, a scratch on the surface of the eye, which can be incredibly painful and can have some real severe consequences if it's not properly treated and taken care of. And that's why it's so important for whoever's giving you your contacts to walk you through putting them in and to be licensed. Well, and that's what the doctor in Illinois said is he said, there's no one getting contacts for the first time should walk out with contact lenses without 
an optometrist or a physician or someone walking them through, here's how you put them in, let's practice, let's see, can you do it? And and also measurement of the shape of a cornea, fitting contacts properly to the eye is a part of the process, is what I'm told. I'm not an optometrist, I'm not an eye specialist, this is what the experts are telling me. And they said, there's no reason she should have walked out of there with contact lenses without ever having put one in her eye. So you're not an optometrist, neither is Lee Hagopian. I want to go back to what you said about that because you said he's an optician and there's a difference between the two. What is that difference? Well, so the difference is, and you'll find a lot of people who work as opticians in eyeglass or, or eye clinics who are very knowledgeable, know a lot about the eyes, and they will administer a lot of the tests that you'll get um, before an eye exam, but they're preliminary tests. And they're doing that under the supervision of a licensed doctor. Opticians in Wisconsin are not licensed. They're not required to be licensed. There is no required uh, program of schooling that you have to take. Um, there may be some certification, but I don't, but the, certainly I know this, the Department of Safety and Professional Services does not regulate or oversee opticians. Optometrists are actual doctors. They've gone to school for usually a few years. They have to graduate from an accredited school and they have to get licensing from the state of Wisconsin. So there are a number of factors, a number of things that go into becoming a licensed optometrist that show you have the education, the knowledge of the workings of the eyes, eye health, and that sort of thing. And only a licensed optometrist in Wisconsin can give an eye exam. And Jill did, Gilmore says she got an eye exam from she Hagopian. She thought she did. She certainly believed she did. Now, when you look at Wisconsin law in what opticians versus optometrists, what they're allowed to do, the law in Wisconsin is pretty clear that pretty much any manipulation of the eyes and testing of the eyes to determine how well you can see the function of your eyes, the visual acuity, I guess, of, of your eyes, is something that is under the purview of an optometrist. Now, an optometrist can have opticians who work under them who they can assign to do these tasks, but it's, again, it's under their supervision. In this case, it doesn't appear that Lee Hagopian had any sort of supervising optometrist who was giving him permission. When we did the story on him four years ago, he claimed to have a doctor who had given him permission to do these very similar things that he did with Jill Gilmore, including an auto refraction, which is a sort of preliminary measurement of how well your eyes can see. But it's not the final determination of what your prescription should be or whether your eyes are healthy or you have other diseases or anything like that. Um, it's just a preliminary test. He said back in 2015, he had permission of a doctor. We spoke to that doctor who said, no, he didn't. And in fact, he is posing as me. And then he filed a complaint with the state of Wisconsin. So in your most recent story, did Hagopian say he was an optometrist? Did he present himself as one? He didn't say it this time. Now, we interviewed several patients slash customers last time, four years ago, who said, he, they asked specifically, are you a doctor? And he said, yes. Um, he denies that that was the case. This time around, there's no allegation that he said he was a doctor. And Jill Gilmore didn't necessarily ask the question. She sort of made the assumption because of what was presented to her. If you go to his shop on the outside of the, the store, there's a picture of the eye and sort of a, a medical looking uh, breakdown of the various layers and parts of the eye. And it says eye exams. Um, which gives the impression that, okay, you can get a real licensed eye exam here. Um, he had this piece of machinery that he pulls the cover off of. We sent a producer in with a hidden camera. He was going to pull the cover off of this auto refraction machine and give our producer on the spot some sort of an examination through this machine. 
does the average lay person look at that and think I'm getting an eye exam? Well, Jill Gilmore did. Um, Lee Hagopian has said since then, no, I don't give eye exams. That's not an eye exam. And I have talked to the Wisconsin Optometry, I think it's the Association, uh, Optometrist Association, and they said that using a an auto refractor is not in and of itself necessarily an eye exam, but using one is considered the practice of optometry under the law unless it's done under the supervision of a of an optometrist. I'm really interested in what Lee Hagopian had to say about this. So was I. What happened? Well, this time around, actually, I'll take a step back. When we tried to talk to him in 2015, um, we got into his shop and he immediately turned around and walked us out um, and didn't want to have anything to do with speaking to me. But prior to that, we had sent our producer, producer Pete, in with a hidden camera and they had a pretty good conversation in the store after producer Pete had identified himself as a Fox 6 producer. And at that point, he said some things that we got captured on hidden camera where he said things like he's aware that people have accused him of this. He's aware that he's been under invest. In fact, by that time, I think he had already been found to have been practicing optometry without a license. And his statement to producer Pete was, yeah, I don't really want anyone to know about that. Um, Well, that's our job is to let people know about that. So we did. He didn't really say much more. And we thought after that story, there'd been an order from the state that he stopped doing this. um, And we hadn't really heard much more. His shop, which was at that time, uh, he had an eye exam shop in Kenosha, along with his optical shop in Paddock Lake. The Kenosha one closed down. He was evicted. um, And we thought he was out of business. Maybe he's just still selling eyeglasses, which he's allowed to do. There's no license required to sell eyeglasses or to take a prescription from an optometrist that's been given to someone and fill that prescription. So he could do that. It wasn't until recently we got this complaint that we find out, okay, he may still be up to some of those things he was accused of. So we tried to talk to him again. And I know this is a long answer, Jenna. (laughs) But in the end, I went back again this time. We sent producer Pete in one more time to see if he could in fact get an eye exam or what Lee Hagopian would say. And when producer Pete stopped in this time, Mr. Hagopian initially said, I can get you in right now. I've got time. If you've got time, I've got time. And uh, producer Pete, not knowing what I, the reporter, actually wanted out of it, said, well, hang on. Can we make an appointment for tomorrow? So they made an appointment. And we came back the next day and producer Pete went in again. And this time, Mr. Hagopian said, I recognize you. You work for Fox 6, don't you? And at that point, the undercover portion was over. And producer Pete said, yes, I am. And they had a conversation. And when that ended, I went in with a camera in plain sight. Um, Photojournalist Jeff Frings and I went into the building and tried to speak to him. Now, at this time, there was sort of an interior lobby. And then there was a door. And behind that closed door, Hagopian was back there somewhere in the back. And I came in and, and I kind of looked around to see if I could see anyone. And then I heard him, you know, say something. And I explained who I was, why I was there. We wanted to speak. And he just said, I'm not doing eye exams. You know, get out of here. I'm calling the cops. Uh, I tried to ask one more question. He said, that's it. And I knew that meant, you know, I've had my fill. So we turned around and we got out. Um, We waited outside and he made good on his promise. He to called, call the police. He called uh, the Kenosha County Sheriff's Office and they dispatched a couple of deputies to come and investigate his complaint. And you and got we, a copy of that call. We got a copy of the call. And I want to be clear, we've referred to it or I've heard people refer to it as a 911 call. He didn't call 911. He didn't treat this as an emergency. He did call the non-emergency number. But those calls are also recorded. So we got a copy. 
And in that call, we hear him say that Fox 6 News threatened him. So the deputies came to investigate that. Uh, the dispatcher did I, – I, I give the dispatcher credit for pressing, well, what kind of threat? They want to know, was was Fox 6 there you know, pointing a weapon? Physically threatening. Were we phys- threatening physical violence? And he said, no, they're threatening to put me on Fox 6 News and make me look bad. <laughs> um, now, our goal was certainly not to make him look bad, but as Jill Gilmore then said in our interview, he's doing a fine job of that all by himself. Um, her opinion, and I won't contest that opinion, uh, but – we certainly didn't threaten him. The only thing I said to him on the way out was, I want to give you a chance to answer these questions because this is going to be on Fox 6 News. So the deputies came, talked to they you They came and they left? talked to me. They essentially said, you know, as long as you're not trespassing, you know, just don't go back in the store. He's asked you to leave. It's his business. Don't go back Which in. you did. Which we did leave. We right. did not go back in. Right. Correct. Um, so there was really nothing we had done. And I did ask them. Here's the part that I thought was actually really fascinating is that He's calling police or law enforcement on us when, in fact, in 2015, the Department of Safety and Professional Services had ordered him to stop practicing optometry without a license. But does that order carry any weight? Well, so that's that's really the big question here. That's the ultimate question, because what's tricky for the state is they regulate licensed individuals, licensed professionals, whether it be doctors or optometrists or other um, medical and sometimes trade type uh, business professionals. And he's not licensed. He's not licensed. So since they don't license opticians, they're sort of limited in what they can do. If he was a licensed optometrist and he was violating the rules, they could reprimand him. They could suspend him. They could take away his license. Well, there's no license to take away. And posing as a doctor is not a crime in Wisconsin. In and of itself, posing as an eye doctor or practicing optometry without a license is not a crime in Wisconsin. So while it is a violation, the most they could really do is issue an injunction saying, just stop doing this, which is sort of, when you step back for a minute, it's kind of absurd to say, all right, now we're officially ordering you not to break the law. (laughs) You should already know not to break the law, but here's our official order. Don't do it. And if you do it, you could be fined $10,000 per day for each violation. And we could refer you for criminal charges. That's what the injunction says from 2015. So they've put them on notice. If you keep doing this, we're at the limits of what we can do, but we can send you to the DA for criminal charges. So what happened? That was in 2015. That was in 2015. What happened this time? So Jill Gilmore complained not only to the Fox 6 investigators, but she also contacted a, a private investigator. She called the DA's office, the sheriff's office, her state legislator. She called Department of Safety and Professional Services and the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. And uh, she was not real satisfied with the response she got from Consumer Protection because effectively they took her complaint, they took his side and said, it's in dispute, there's nothing we can do. DSPS ultimately uh, looked at this and said, we've reached our limit, there's nothing more we can do. So they did refer it to the DA's office for a review of possible criminal charges. And, And what was, I think, very important in the Department of Safety and Professional Services Uh, response was they said they found probable cause, that he's violated that 2015 order. So in their immediate review of Jill Gilmore's complaint, there's enough there, they say, that he's violated the law again, and they think uh, that it's up to the DA now to see if this goes to the next level. So far as we know, at least as we're recording this, the district attorney is still investigating. They've asked an investigator for the Kenosha Sheriff's Department to further investigate, and that is still ongoing. So we don't know where it leads from here. 
I also am aware that uh, State Representative Samantha Kirkman, who represents that district, has said she is exploring whether or not there's potential legislation here because that big picture question, if it's not a crime to pose as an eye doctor, should it be? And that's one of the things she's exploring, maybe not just for eye doctors, but for physicians in general, because it's not clear if it's even a crime in Wisconsin to pose as a medical doctor. It would be to write prescriptions or do certain things to harm someone while acting fraudulently or, or misleading them, but just the act of posing as or, or performing the duties of a doctor or eye doctor is not a clear-cut crime. If you pretend to be a police officer, definitely a crime. Firefighter, definitely a crime. That's very clear in state statutes. An EMT, if you pose as an EMT, crime. Uh, but to do it as an eye doctor is not. And so that's something that could come out of this. And when you believe someone is a doctor, you are giving them very personal and sometimes oh, very intimate access to your body. So I can imagine that someone, if, if they feel as though they've been misled, would feel very violated. Well, not only personal access to your physical body, but also to personal information, such as your social security number, things that you think, all right, well, this is a physician. They're, you're used to giving They're very bound private by information to a physician because of HIPAA and other things. They're, you, you, you assume they're going to protect that closely. Would you necessarily give that same level of personal private information to someone who is not bound by HIPAA or any of those other things, who is not a licensed practitioner, but is just an optical shop salesman? I think probably most people would be a little more reticent to do that. And I mean, the eyes are such an important organ in your body. Just a grain of sand can make them hurt so badly. So you can understand why this is worth investigating. Well, and, and I know when I talk to the Optometrist Association, they're really concerned about this because even though what he did may not have constituted a full-blown eye exam, that's part of the problem in their view is when you go in to get glasses or contacts, some people do want the quick, I just want the new glasses, just get me in and out of here, I'll do the minimum. But people who really care about eye health, like the doctor I went to see today, um, they want to do a full examina uh, examination of your eye because when they scan the retina, when they look at other things, they can determine things about whether or not you may be at risk for cancer or developing other sorts of eye diseases, diabetes, things that could be a real threat to your health. And when you're there for an exam, if that's missed, if that's not checked, it could be a real problem for you down the road. And, and I know just today at the exam I was in, it was so thorough, uh, the doctor who looked at me determined, uh, found some sort of a an irregularity, I forgot what he called it, but in the surface underneath my retina of my left eye. It's nothing major, but he talked about, you know, he asked me, have you been, you know, have you been a welder? Have you done any welding? <laughs> Bright flash could have caused this injury. Um, if He said, if it's not that, it could be something else that we have to watch and we have to see if it progresses over time. So come back in another year or two years and see if these things progress because there could be some, you go to your primary care doctor, they can't check that. So this is a real medical exam and, and it's important if they say, if people go to get their eyes checked, they should be getting it from someone who understands the importance of these medical uh, needs. And that's the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question. This is a weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked as journalists at parties or events or when we're out and about. And here's the catch. We have no idea what the question is going to be. There are several envelopes in front of us, and it's my turn to pick one at random. I feel like we should ask about what you do when the cleaning company's coming. And you're talking to, about 
cleaning for the, you have to the cleaning clean company. It was a we, good we conversation had... pre-podcast. <laughs> do you clean? Do you do you pre-wash your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher? I no. pre-rinse my dishes. You pre-rinse them. Does that you ever, count as washing? Find, but do Does rinsing yourself, count as washing? Do you ever find yourself sort of scrubbing a little bit off, and then you're like, I might as well just wash the whole thing. I did a consumer report once where they said you're not supposed to wash your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher because a lot of them have sensors now, and they can sense how much is on your plates, and you don't want to mess with the sensors. Something like that. I really know what I'm talking Ask about. The that would save reporter. me a lot of time, but it just seems like, I don't know, do they have garbage disposal? Because there's so much food sometimes on the, I don't know. That's a whole do, different... Do you just want that to be the dinner party I question, I'm sorry. I, I, I digress. <laughs> okay. So, this is the question. Are there any stories you regret having gone to air with, i.e. you hurt someone's feelings or someone was physically hurt or targeted because of your story? Oh. Boy, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't know that I, off the top of my head, can think of one that I actually regret having put on the air. That said, there are certainly times when I've had, you know, you put something on the air that you know is someone's really had to share a sensitive and personal story, mm-hmm. and maybe they got a little blowback over it, but the greater good was still sort of the cause. And I maybe, you know, sometimes I feel like, I, I think I admire the people who put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more likely or more common that people fear there are going to be some sort of repercussions or great blowback from telling their stories. And I, you guys have probably experienced this the vast majority of the time. People in the end are grateful they did it and it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. I don't know if I can think of a story I actually regret having put on the air other than just maybe I was really unhappy with my own telling of it. I don't have a story I regret, but there is – a story that I felt bad about how the family felt after it aired because it was supposed to be this lighthearted story where this fi- this guy was building an ice sculpture outside his window. window, And what he had done was he took a string and he uh, threw it out the window and he had a faucet running on that string and it landed outside his house on the ground and he built this giant icicle from the ground up that kind of reached the roof of his house. And... I don't remember how it came about, but when we got there, the icicle was clearly in a public park just over his fence. Uh, and I had talked with him at that point because I think he had been approached by the city, which or was it the county? Someone was regulating that park. And he had said, you know, I think they want to take it down. And I said, well, I think I'm going to have to reach out to them for comment on this story. And after the story aired the next day, because I mentioned it was in a public park, uh, that they came out with a chainsaw and they cut it down. <laughs> and he was really sad about it, and I get that. But I also, as a journalist, I couldn't, I couldn't neglect the fact that he acknowledged it was in a public park. It was clearly over his fence and in a public park. And you can imagine kids climbing on it could be dangerous. And so I just felt bad. I talked to him the next day. And, you know, I didn't apologize or anything, but I said, you know, I'm sorry that you, this was disappointing for you. And every time I drove by his house, I felt bad about it. Just, so, I don't feel bad that, you know, I don't so regret don't, yeah. doing the story. I know I didn't do anything wrong. wrong. You don't just kill parties, though. You I chopped down icicle sculptures. <laughs> you know, other stations did the story the next day. What with, would you know, Elsa think of you? You know, <laughs> but you know, I, I just, no, I, you know, yeah. you never like to think someone you left the experience with a bad feeling. Do, what you felt, but, but yeah, you still felt bad because you knew it meant a lot to him. Yeah. And it was, it was going to happen sooner or later. It was in a public park and it was a giant 
ice clothes. Did he ever say anything to you? Did he follow up and say like, well, I had heard he was disappointed. So I called him the next day to talk about it. And, you know, he expressed that he was disappointed. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. I I was open with you that I was going to contact the city and see what they had to say about it. And it wasn't like I was informing the city that it existed. They They already knew, but it may have hastened how quickly they got out there. How so, quickly the how about artwork you, Amanda, got Do you down. have anything you regret having told or done or you a know, story in hindsight? I, I think that, like like the both of you, there's not one where I say, oh my gosh, this never should have gone to air. I think by nature with all of our personalities, we're not afraid to speak up if we think something should not go to air or is not ready. Or we have people in our ears saying you don't have it or that shouldn't. I, we, right. Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of stories that we think should air that sometimes don't because we're airing on the side of caution. Right. I, I will say, so my last TV market I was in, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that was also my home market. So I went to high school there, grew up there, knew a lot of people there. I had just started working at that station. So it was a homecoming of sorts. And we found out that the high school that I went to, they had a bunch of cheerleaders who were cited by police for being drunk at one of the football games. And it was a football game in which – They were also cheering with the younger cheerleaders. So they're doing stunts with these younger cheerleaders after they had had some booze. So we we had the information confirming what happened. And it ended up being a news story. I was the one who was assigned to do it. It was definitely placed way higher in the newscast than it should be have been. So, you know, we have control over what's in our stories. We don't always have control over how something is teased or how it's promoted or the placement. So it was, I mean, it's the lead of the newscast and it's these cheerleaders getting cited for being drunk. Of course, we're not identifying them. They're minors. And I just remember, and it was a conversation with my managers throughout the day where it was like, how how big of a story do we want to make this? And it was hard for me to pinpoint or articulate why I was feeling that it didn't deserve such a big splash. And I think part of me was questioning, am I defending my former high school? Is this a conflict of interest? And when you're in your home market, it's really hard to navigate that stuff because you have those relationships. So you don't want to unnecessarily downplay, but you also recognize these are kids. Yeah, it's a problem if you're doing stunts while you're intoxicated and, th- you know, throwing young girls up in the air. That's a problem. Um, but, you know, how much how much is overblown? How much is not? So, of course, everyone I went to high school with sees this story and they're like, oh, Amanda, you're back. You're back home. And now this story is what I'm being known for. And mm-hmm. it's like, great. This is not what I want to be known for. So it it wasn't a story that I regretted, but it was really hard for me, especially being at that point, I was 23 years old. So it was hard for me to navigate and articulate, you know, what I thought to my managers. And I think it was a learning experience of being able to pinpoint this is what I think. This is why I think it. This is how hard I should push. These are the kinds of things I should check in terms of where the story is placed and how it's being teased. And at that point, I just didn't have the wherewithal to be able to vocalize any of that. If you have a question... 
or a dad joke that you want to send the Open Record team, please let us know. You can send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. Thank you for listening to Open Record. We would also like to thank the people behind the scenes making this podcast happen. Producer Pete, who had a lot of fun laughing in the corner at this one. Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. If you enjoy listening, let us know. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check out Fox 6's other podcast, Definitely Milwaukee, with Carl Deffenbaugh. If you want more Open Record, just head to our website, fox6now.com. <laughs> <laughs>